truth be told, I don't know what I'm doing here. <laughs> Katie, Katie said she wanted flowers. And so I went to the store and they've got flowers ranging from like $2 to $20, right? And because they're a seasonal item, which means they're going to die soon. And you're going to be back here doing this all over again after you dig up the flowers you just planted. I go with the $2 option, right? Because I'm buying them to die. So I put them on the cart and thanked the person that helped me find the flowers that will die soon. And they said, do you need some fertilizer? And I'm thinking, well, I have plenty of dirt at my house. I just didn't have flowers. And so I had to come get yours. And they look at me like, no, sir, you need fertilizer. I'm like, oh, of course. Okay. Roll over to the fertilizer aisle. And it's so confusing. They have topsoil, potted soil, raised bed soil, in bed soil, and they have all these bags of mix, garden mix, fresh mix, tropical mix, garden. You know, it's like, I don't know which one I need. So I'll just go with the manure, right? The bagged poo. That seems like it would be a good option. That's not going to stink or get in my car because there's little holes in the bag. Why do they put holes in the bag for you to get poo in your car? You know, then each of the bags have numbers on them. Five, 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 10, 10, 80, Ren, 10, 10. I don't know what these numbers mean. I just need to plant the flowers. I finally get them all to the car, drive home, put them in a little cart, walk over to where I'm going to plant them. And because I'm about to be 40 and I know I'm going to be down here for six hours, I need the knee pad. I don't care if they strap to my knees or if it's a long thing I'm going to kneel on. But Lord, I need to be comfortable if I'm going to be down here for a long time, you know? So I finally get the first one and come over for the second here. Give it a little bit of a a little bit of a squeeze to get it out. Pretend like I know what I'm doing here. Oh, come on. Of course, that would be why you need the soil, right? And Luke, I am your father, right? Of course, when you have seven kids. All right. Two down, 10 to go. <laughs> This is going to take forever. I'll tell you what, though, after you have been down here for a little while and you go to get up, especially at my age, it's like you think you're just going to hop up and you have to do it in thirds, right? <laughs> your knees, your knees a little sore, your back's a little sore. You plant 12 plants, you wake up the next morning and it feels like you went 12 rounds with somebody. You know what I'm talking about? Muscles you didn't even know you had are hurting. You're taking ibuprofen and all you did was plant some flowers. How many of you would agree with me that planting things can be hard work, right? Leaves you uncomfortable. It's messy. Last week, our lead pastor kicked off a new series for us called Super Bloom. And over the next three weeks, we're going to be taking the points from his message to look at a little bit more closely. And the premise of the series is that coming out of a dry season, we believe that God is going to bring about a supernatural bloom in our lives, that it's possible for us to flourish as the children of God, regardless of the circumstances that we walk through. And whether you joined us here in person at one of our campuses or online to this weekend, we're going to be looking at his first point, which was this. In order for us to flourish in every season, regardless of the circumstances, we have to be planted in the right soil. And the three soils that he looked at was one, the soil of God's love, the soil of God's word, and the soil of God's house. 
And here's what's interesting about that or the thought that came to mind for me in preparing for the message today. See, all of us would agree that planting things is hard work, that it's uncomfortable, that it's messy. Somehow you have gloves on and you still come away with calluses. You still get dirt under your nails. Your pants have stains on them, right? It's just messy and uncomfortable. Why would we think that getting planted in God's house would be any different? And the the thought I had is this, if we're showing up each week expecting for God to bring about a super bloom in our lives or desiring to flourish, but we're just not seeing it, maybe we're seeing it in the lives of others, but we're not just experiencing it for ourselves. What if we're just showing up and we're not actually planted? (laughs) They say, that's good, Joel. (laughs) They say the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, but expecting different results. So this weekend, I'm going to present us with three different principles that'll kind of serve as a survey for our own hearts that we could examine for ourselves. Am I planted in God's love? Am I planted in God's word? Am I planted in God's house so that you can come away with some conviction and confidence about where you stand and how positioned you are for a super bloom? So I'll know I'm planted when I, number one, bear fruit on other people's trees. I'll know I'm planted when I bear fruit on other people's trees. The first soil that Pastor Josh mentioned last week is the soil of God's love. And the Bible tells us when we enter into a relationship with God through Christ, when we put our faith in him, that we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, that it's sealed in us until the day of redemption. We don't don't lose it. He will never leave us nor forsake us. And the evidence of that, when we put our roots in him, that we bear fruit. We don't have to squeeze it out. We don't have to muster it up. It's the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Galatians 5, and 23 lays those out. It says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Man, even those first, those first three, love, joy, and peace. I'm like, yes, Lord, give me some of that, right? that a fruit of the spirit is self-control. That means you don't have to have to control or muster up the energy to put the Oreo down, right? God can do that for you. It is an outpouring, a working, a fruit of the spirit, evidence that he's in your life. There is no question that there is benefit for us when we put our faith in Jesus, when we have the gift of the Holy Spirit inside of us. That stuff is evident among those that are around us. People see it in us. They sense it in us. There is benefit for us for sure but not just for us. In John 21, 15 through 17, Jesus had been arrested, crucified, and buried. And the disciples go out fishing. You know, they're just crushed. And at this point, as he was following along after his arrest, Peter had denied Jesus three times. People said, hey, weren't you one of his disciples? Didn't you hang with him? And he's like, no, no, no. So you can imagine the shame he's feeling. Well, while they're out fishing, Jesus appears to the disciples on the shore. Peter realizes it's Jesus. He jumps out the boat and swims in. Jesus here is first act back as the risen Lord is cooking them some food, right? The most basic act. He's cooking them a meal. And after they share food together and they have some conversation and Jesus and Peter enter into a conversation, this is what it says. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord. He said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? 
Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, after having denied Jesus, Jesus didn't return to Peter to say, hey, do you really believe that I'm the Savior? Do you really believe that I'm, that I'm Lord? Am I really Lord in your heart? Remember, at this point, Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. He had heard him say that he came to seek and save the lost, that he came for the lost sheep of Israel, that it wasn't the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Over and over and over, Jesus had drove home the point that this is a rescue mission, that I so loved the world that I came to save them to seek and save the lost, that people might know God, that they would have a relationship with God through me. The evidence of Peter's love for Jesus wasn't going to be with the words that he professed, but in the evidence of his actions. If you love me, you'll take care of my kids. You'll feed my kids. Take care of the little ones. Take care of my lambs. Take care of my sheep. Three different times he said, hey, don't forget, this whole thing is about a rescue mission. If you love me, it's going to be evidenced in, in the way that you care for others, meaning that there's going to be people around you that don't carry the peace that you have. They don't have the joy that you have. They don't have the self-control that you have. And instead of judging them for that, we would live in such a way that it's so attractive. They would say, man, where does that peace come from? I saw what you walked through last year, and you maintained this sense of joy that I don't have. How can I get me some of that, right? That they could piggyback on our faith, and we could tell them about the source of the life that we have, that ultimately the spirit that resides in us would begin to bear fruit on other people's trees. So if we were to do a, a fruit inspection today, uh, whenever we go to the grocery store, our kids love strawberries, blueberries, all the berries, right? And so they come in those clear containers, and just about always, they look good on top, but you know when you flip them over and you're like, ooh, they're like brown, juicy, I almost took this thing home, man. Somebody needs to throw this stuff away. If we were to do a fruit inspection and, and maybe just talk with your, your family, your kids, your friends, just say, hey, talk with me about the fruit of the Spirit in their life. Are you seeing the peace? Are you seeing the joy? What do you think they would say? You know, we don't, we don't do that all too often because we see our shortcomings and we know where we are. But man, church, we will know we are planted when we start to bear fruit on other people's trees, when they've been around us for a while and they come away different because of the spirit that they sense inside of us. And the order here is important because you can't give something that you don't got. We have to receive God's love for ourselves. We have to allow the spirit of God to bear fruit in our lives so that we can share it, so that we can give it with others. So number one, I'll know I'm planted when I bear fruit on other people's trees. Number two, I know, I'll know I'm planted when I question who I hang with, what I stand for, and the things that I do. Who I hang with, what I stand for, and the things that I do. The second soil that Pastor Josh mentioned last week is the soil of God's word. And Psalm 1 paints a picture of a man or a woman that, that goes where they want to go, they hang with who they want to hang with, they do whatever they want to do, and it contrasts that with a person who meditates on God's law, a person who delights in it day and night, essentially the person who uses God's word as a filter or some guardrails to help them make decisions in their lives for where they go and who they hang with and the things they do. This is what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on that law day and night. 
That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. How does that land on you? Meditate on it day and night. The only comparison that I have is for when I first met Katie. I was in college and I enjoyed football and food and fun and friends. Right? Like that was it. And I was having a blast until the day that I met Katie. And all of a sudden, she was all that I could think about. I started thinking like, what time of day am I going to see her? What will I be wearing? What will I smell like at that point in the day? What am I going to say to her when I see her? I started calling her roommate. When she was in class, I would have her roommate bring me down Katie's dirty laundry. I would take it home and wash it. I would write little love notes and put something in the pocket of every pants or shirt that had a pocket, thinking when she put it on the next week, she'd find it. Wanted her to know that I was thinking about her. I'd invite her over for a meal and cook spaghetti so I could spell things in the noodles, right? Now, it's been a long time since I've done anything like that, but I could get better there. But when I first met her, I'm telling you, it was all I could think about. I wanted to spend the rest of my life with this girl, and I wanted to make sure that she knew it. And the reason that that happened is I loved all of the other things that I was doing in life. It was a fun season of life. But the day that I met Katie, she became more precious to me more important to me than all of those other things. And it changed everything about my life. And that's what the passage is saying here, that we'll be blessed in whatever we do and whatever we put our hands to, if we will allow his word to become more precious to us. I was preparing for the message this week in Barnes and Noble. And I looked up and uh, in preparing, I saw this book, Romeo and Juliet. How many of you have read this? Just about all of us, right? If we were to go out to coffee and talk about Romeo and Juliet, other than being among the most boring coffees I ever had, right? We could recite all the details. Oh, yeah. Two, like, wealthy families. Kids fall in love. They're not supposed to like each other. Tragic death. I know. You know, like, you know the details. You've read the story. Maybe you've seen the movie. You wanted to kind of see what it was like. But I'm never going to read it again, even though I did just buy the book, right? Well, it's easy for us to think about this book in the same way that we think about this book. I know the details. God created everything. <clears throat> Satan's bad. People are bad. Random story. Donkeys talk. That's weird. I didn't understand that. Jesus came and saved everyone. Jesus wins, right? I know the details. But the reality is this isn't a history book that just tells us how things happen. It's not just a textbook to tell us the things that we need to know to navigate life. This word is living and active. And if we'll allow it to be the filter through which we experience life, it will change everything about our lives. I remember when Katie and I first moved to Charleston, I was unemployed. We didn't really know anyone here. I didn't have any friends here. Because I was unemployed, we were broke, broke. We had three kids at that point. Katie had gotten a job. It was kind of our fleece, like, okay, God, if you want us to move, one of us needs a job. Ended up being Katie, so I rocked the stay-at-home dad with three kids, which was great. You know? And in that season, our kids had a morning rest and an afternoon rest, not because they were supposed to or that's what good parents do, but because I needed Jesus to do that job. And so for the hour at 9 o'clock and the hour at 1 o'clock, man, I devoured his word. And it became my friend when I had no friend. He was my counselor when I didn't know what to do or how to save our marriage. I saw him provide. I found some verses in that season that I'm still living out of. A season of brokenness and pain. He spoke things to me that had forever changed and is changing my life. It's not just a history book. It's not just a textbook. It is living and active. 
And if we'll allow it to be more precious, friends, it'll bear fruit in your life that you never would have imagined. Hebrews 4.12 speaks of the word in this way. It says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of the spirit of of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The more you spend time in this word, you don't only come to know the character of God and the heart of God, but you come to know yourself. You see your desires, you see your sin, but in that you encounter a God who loves you, who made you, who sees and knows all those things, and still he chose you. Living and act can pierce to your heart. Man, you spend time in this word each day, you'll read a passage that seems to jump off the text as if the spirit of God is talking to you, cutting to your heart. It will change everything about you. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 says it this way. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and will achieve the purpose for which I sent it. It will not return void. If you'll give yourself to it, if you'll allow it to become the most precious thing in your life, it will reap a harvest. It will change you. You won't have to muster up the energy to do it. It's not about behavior modification. Are you learning certain things and and applying them? This isn't a diet. You know, it's not a deal where you have to learn to cook and you have to change a bunch of things. You have the spirit of God, the power of God alive inside of you. And the more you come to know his heart, The more you spend time with him, he is going to bring about change in you that you never could on your own. So I'll know I'm planted when I, number two, question who I hang with, what I stand for, and the things that I do, because you're starting to use this word as a filter for your life. So number three, I'll know I'm planted when I get excited about Demo Day, when I get excited about Demo Day. The third soil that Pastor Josh mentioned last week was the soil of God's house. We have got to get planted in the soil of God's house. Have you ever been riding around town and seen an abandoned house? How do you know that it's abandoned? Usually like the grass is wildly overgrown, right? Maybe you're driving by and you see a weed that's like as tall as a person. Like, wow, that's amazing. You know, weeds could get that tall, you know, like bushes are all out of whack. Maybe some kids in the neighborhood have realized that it was abandoned and have thrown some rocks through some windows. You know, the house just looks bad. But in the same way that you can tell that the house has been abandoned, you can tell when someone purchases it because they come in and they do the yard. All of a sudden, there's a big stack of debris by the road. You see cars and crews starting to show up. Before long, there's, there's rolls of carpet, you know, just stank, nasty. It must have had dogs. They let use the bathroom inside. I'm like, who does that? You know, it's just nasty cabinets that are busted and broken. You start seeing toilets sitting out by the road. That's always kind of funny to me. I just want to sit on it for a minute. <laughs> Imagine how I would startle people driving by. You, know? you just start seeing debris outside. And when they, when they demo, demolition, when they, when they gut a house, they don't leave like chunks of the old carpet beside the new carpet so they can remember how much work they did, right? No, they rip it all out because they, they want it to be a place that you would be proud to call home place that smells good and looks good and feels good. They rip out all of the busted, broken, stained stuff so they can put in the new things. And the same is true of our hearts and lives when we enter into a relationship with God through Christ. Second Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, 
He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. There's not parts of brokenness or little slivers of pain that God leaves there. He makes us a new creation. Doesn't take us from good to better, but from dead to alive is who we become in him. Now, it's one thing on demo day for us to call friends, which I've done that in every renovation that we've done. I reach out to every friend I've got. I've got a, I brought a picture for you to show you of our last renovation. Some of our pastors, I had our lead pastor, the Somerville campus pastor. That's our West Ashley campus pastor in the tank top there, flexing a little bit because he knew we were taking a picture. You know how that goes, guys, right? <laughs> but I called all the guys over because I know we're going to get so much more done so much faster and have a lot of fun doing it on demo day when you reach out to friends for help, when you lean on some other people to help you get a big job done. Now, it's one thing when it's a house or a project like that that you can put your hands to, but what about when it's your heart? When you've given your life to him, but you still have these places of pain and brokenness and addiction and disappointment, you're a new creation, but man, you're carrying some stuff with you. The pride in us can keep us from reaching out to people. Say, man, I'm struggling with this. Let me tell you the things I've been thinking about. Let me tell you the things that I've done. We can feel like or put this pressure on ourselves as if we are supposed to have it all together or as if we are supposed to clean ourselves up. But the pathway for healing, the way that we not just be forgiven, but experience the forgiveness of God, the way that we usher in the healing of God into our lives is through people. James 5, 14 and 15 says it this way. Is any sick among you? Let him call on the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. James 5, 16 says, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So if you're sick, reach out to someone else. Let them not just pray over you, but anoint you with oil, that you might experience the forgiveness of God, that you might experience the healing of God. Confess your sins one to another, that you might be healed. God forgives you. You've been forgiven in Christ, but man, I want healing. I just don't want forgiveness for my addiction. I want to be set free from it. I want those chains to be broken, and that happens in community. As we humble ourselves before our brothers, as we humble ourselves before our sisters and say, man, this is what I'm dealing with. Will you pray for me? Man, that is what God uses, the, the pathway for healing, the pathway for experiencing the forgiveness of God in our lives is through community. Instead of telling you about how important that is or, or how you can do it, I want you to take just a minute and watch Tammy's story. Grew up in Ravenel, so close by in Charleston. Moved back here in 2008. I needed something, and I knew it was it was God. So we started going to Seacoast in West Ashley. A couple years after going to Seacoast, everyone, try, try a small group. You need a small group. It was absolutely what turned my life around. It taught me how to pray. It taught me that people really care. They prayed for me. They prayed with me. That was in 2019, January, and September of last year. I had had a routine mammogram done. I've had these every year for years. And it was Friday afternoon, and it was right before 4 o'clock. I got the phone call, and I found I had breast cancer. 
during the treatments was the worst. You know, from the surgery to chemo to radiation into another surgery. And it was the hardest because no one could come. No one was allowed to see me. I wasn't allowed to go out. I went, you know, from doctor to home. There were times when at home, you know, I didn't want to talk to anybody on the phone because you didn't know what you were going to hear or what they were going to hear. But one group member in particular, she would always call me, text me, check on me. And sometimes we'd talk forever an hour at night in things that I can talk to her about that's different than what I would talk to my parents about. There's another lady who did the same thing. She would just call to see how you're doing. I want to pray for you today. I'm like, okay, thank you so much. <laughs> you know, it makes you feel like, okay, I'm going to get through this. And that was the smallest things of the worst day to talk yourself from get up out the bed and at least move to the couch, you know, on days when you feel that bad, but to get that uplifting phone call, it just lifts you up no matter how bad you feel. You know, and I've never had that before, not from people that aren't in my family. I wouldn't have made it through it without them. So the end of September, I had my last radiation treatment, and that was, you know, that's it. And as of right now, I'm cancer-free. see God pull everything together and bring me back to somewhat of a normal, it's amazing. I don't need anyone. That was my quote. I didn't need help. I didn't need anyone. But to have what I have now through small groups, I want to be there for someone else the way my small group was there for me. Hey, let's praise God for what he did in Tammy's life. Isn't that great? Whether it is, is cancer or personal crisis in your life, if it's for the blessing of relationship or just seasons of rejoicing, the pathway for us experiencing the hand of God, for us stepping into the abundant life that he came to offer is through community, is through people. And there's no better weekend for you to take a step into relationship with other believers. It's our second and last Connect weekend. We've done everything we can across all of our campuses to make it as easy as possible and as likely as possible for you to take that next step. You can scan the QR code on the seat in front of you here at the Mount Pleasant campus. Your campus pastors will come up and put one on the screens, but I want to encourage you to take that step today. I'll know I'm planted when I, number one, bear fruit on other people's trees. Number two, question who I hang with, what I stand for, and the things that I do. Number three, get excited about Demo Day. Get excited about Demo Day. You know, when I think about Tammy's story, she didn't really know how to pray. She said her small group taught her how to pray. So many of the attributes of her faith that allowed her life to flourish, she learned in community. And if I were to ask you which of these two pots has a tree in it, you know, every hand in the room would be like, he's losing it. It's obviously this one, right? But this one does as well, but it's just in seed form. And you can't see it, but underneath the soil, man, really important things are happening. It's been watered. That seed is starting to break out of its shell. It's shooting roots downwards. A sprout is coming upward. And church, I know many of you here today are, are much like this tree. And in so many different areas of your life, you are flourishing. You've planted yourself in the word of God. You've planted yourself in the love of God, in the house of God. 
He's not only doing great things in you, but he's doing great things through you. But I know that there's also people here that just like Tammy, and you don't feel like you know how to pray. You don't feel like you know God's love for yourself. And the invitation, the opportunity for you today isn't to just show up anymore, isn't to just hear or be familiar with the stories, but to take a bold step to be planted in his love. Take a step this week to be planted in his word. Join a small group, get planted in his house. And I promise you, you will not only flourish in every area of your life, but you will experience the power and presence of God every step of the way. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for a new year. We thank you, God, for this series and this word from our our lead pastor of believing that you are ushering in a super bloom in each of our lives after a dry desert season that you are doing a new thing. So we just say yes and amen to that. God, would you move mightily in our lives? Might we know personally the love of God? Will we catch a glimpse of how much you love us? Will we allow ourselves to be planted in the word of God? Would it be living and active for me? Would it bear fruit in my life for me? And would you use it to help me bring about change in the lives of others? God, might I be planted in your house? Establish me in some relationships that would forever change my life. In Jesus' name, amen.